0: episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your guest host, our very own social media maven, Mackenzie Passiger. Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of Exploring Washington State. Today I'm talking to Brooke Martinez, the creator of 2232 Ceramics. Brooke is Spokane-based and we are so excited to have her on today. Welcome, Brooke. Hi. Hi, nice to have you on. Thanks for having me. So to kick things off, let's just jump right in. Um, how long have you been doing pottery? How did you get started? What is the the backstory to you?
1: Um, I've been doing pottery since I was a young kid. Actually, my grandma was a potter. And so pretty much for as long as I can remember, I was making little pinch pots with her or, you know, glazing dishes that she had made. And um, I never really did any wheel work with her. But was still around pottery and playing with clay and stuff like that. Um, After I grew up a bit and went to high school, I took a class in high school and I didn't really feel it was like a passion at that time, but it was fun and artistic. And after that class was over, I really didn't um, pursue it after that. And then about 10 years went by and I was working in a creative career, but I was on the computer all the time. And I just really wanted to find a hobby where I could keep my hands busy and actually, like, make something with my hands. So at that point, I took a class with Clay Connection, their local to Spokane. It was about a six-week course, um, just one day a week. So it was really only six classes. Um, and there, I really just fell in love with it. So as soon as that class was over, I pretty much um, looked into getting my own studio set up at my house. So I could continue to do it all the
0: time. Is that when you made the decision to go fo- full time with pottery work?
1: Um, no, I definitely had to. I mean, I barely learned anything in that class um, at Clay Connection. They taught me a lot. It's just that six days in a class is not very much time. Um, so once I started working you know, out of my own house and on the pottery wheel here, I really had to like figure out centering clay and really just teach myself from scratch. So, and that was back in 2016, I think. So I spent about three years doing pottery as a hobby, um, and like a side hustle outside of my full-time job at that time, just, you know, working on the weekends and evenings and any, any free time I had just trying to teach myself. Watched a lot of YouTube videos, lots of practice.
0: (laughs) So what was the biggest learning curve you would say that you encountered when you started doing pottery at home, when you spent more time dedicated to it?
1: Um, I would say probably just figuring out how to set up a home studio and learning how to run everything, like, you know, figuring out how to run a kiln. I was lucky enough that my um, sister-in-law's family had an old kiln, it was probably a 30-year-old kiln that they let me borrow. And it still worked great, it was electric, um, but I had to figure out how to use the kiln sitter, which is this little like uh, mechanical contraption, basically where you put a pyrometric bar in and as soon as it reaches temperature, that kiln sitter clicks off and you know that the firing has finished. So, just doing a lot of research, trying to figure out that, um, yeah, I would say all that
0: set up and learning to use different equipment,
1: yeah, exactly, and figuring out where to get supplies and and really, like just teaching myself again, you know, kind of from scratch.
0: Are there a lot of places in Spokane that you can locally buy your supplies, or are you having to order a majority of them online
1: um there are a few places that you can buy locally. Um, the Clay connection is one of them. They have a pretty good retail area with glazes and clay and things like that. But now that I'm you know doing it full time and buying bulk clay, I order from a place in Seattle or Tacoma.
0: Okay, so it's still Washington local.
1: Yes, well, they're a distributor for it. so I use primarily use Laguna clay. They're based in California. Um, and then the company in Tacoma, they do make a lot of the glazes that I use.
0: So jumping into doing the actual pottery, what is kind of the general process? Um, do you have to do anything to the clay before it goes onto the wheel? How does that work?
1: Um, the first step is measuring out the amount of clay that you're going to use to make a mug. For example, I use one pound, three ounces, um, So I'll take a 25 pound bag of clay and cut it up into, I think I usually get 19 or 20 balls of clay at that one pound, three ounce size. Um, and I just, you know, smack them into a ball
0: to soften it up.
1: Um, just to like get the shape nice and round. It makes it easier for when I center versus like throwing a piece of a square piece of clay onto the wheel. It's kind of hard to round it out that way. Um, And then if I am recycling clay that I've used in the past and I'm going to reuse it, there's a wedging process that I do um, to prepare the clay. And it basically just, you know, gets all the air bubbles out and makes it all the same softness and things like that.
0: Okay. And how long do you usually spend forming, say, a mug on your wheel? It takes about three minutes. A lot faster than I thought it would be. Actually,
1: (laughs) yeah, that's pretty fast. When I first started, um, it would probably take me eight minutes. But as I've made the same shape over and over and over, um, I've gotten pretty fast at it.
0: Do you then form the handle just with your hands?
1: Yep. So it's a process called pulling the handle, and you start with a like a log of clay, sort of, and you um, just do like a pulling motion
0: to form it into the, the handle shape you want
1: kind of like flattening out the, um, the clay and just making it as thick or as wide as you want. You can drag your thumb across the clay if you want to give it a certain shape and that's what was the process. So sorry. Um, I usually will throw like 40 mugs at a time. And then as those are drying, I'll make all the handles.
0: Do the handles get attached, um, before they go into the kiln or are they attached afterwards
1: they get attached um before they go into the kiln definitely so i once i've thrown a mug i'll let it dry for about 24 hours until it's um, in a state called leather hard and you want the mug and the handle to be about the same uh dryness i guess so that way when you're attaching the two pieces they will stick together you know you don't have the handle drying faster than the actual mug itself or vice versa
0: how long do they do the mugs have to sit in the kiln for once they're ready
1: the first firing is called the bisque firing and that um will be on for about seven hours goes to about 1900 degrees um but it takes a full 24 hours for the kiln to cool down before I can open it and take those pieces out.
0: So there's more than one firing.
1: Yes. So once the bisque firing is done, that uh, that fires the pieces to a certain point where they're um, hard and I can glaze them and they're not as, um, you know, fragile as if they were the raw clay. And so once they're glazed, then I'll fire them again. And that will be the final, final firing time.
0: Does that get hotter than the first firing time? It does,
1: yeah. By a few hundred
0: degrees. Wow. Okay. So there's a big difference there.
1: Yeah. So I fired to around 200, 2,232 degrees, which is the name of my company. And that's where that comes from. Um, it's called, it's referred to as a cone number in the ceramics world. Um, so it's, Cone six is the temperature that I fire them to.
0: What is, what is a cone number?
1: Cones are, they're little pyrometric cones that basically measure how hot the kiln is. So the chart, I don't have the chart in front of me, but it goes like from zero 19 all the way up to 10, for example. Um, in those zero numbers it's cooler and then as it goes it goes like zero five that's where i do the bisque firing and then as you go up on the scale to comb six it gets hotter and hotter
0: okay when you first started selling your products what was the first piece that you made quote unquote professionally that you sold do you remember
1: um i'm pretty sure just a basic mug My mug shape back then was a lot different than it is now. Um, But mugs have always been kind of my bread and butter for the business.
0: And they do sell out really quickly when you do a drop.
1: Yeah, they do. Lately, it's been the first five minutes, which is pretty
0: amazing. And how many mugs are you putting up then when you do a drop?
1: Um, I've been doing pre-sales where I'll take a certain amount of orders and... So it's not really based on a certain amount of pieces, it's just a certain amount of orders. So this last sale, I did 100 orders, there was probably over 200 pieces um, as a part of that pre-sale. Okay. So so you started off just
0: selling mugs, or did you? were you also making vases at the time, or...?
1: Um, really just mugs and tiny, I used to make these little mini planters for succulents. Um, a few years ago before houseplants were really popular, little succulents were really popular. And so I made these little like two inch planters, just little cups basically. But I sold a lot of those with little plants in them. They were pretty cute. Is it easier
0: to make a product the bigger it is? Or the smaller it
1: is? The smaller for me personally.
0: Okay. And why is that? I've never thrown pottery or done anything. So I have no idea.
1: Well, the larger the pieces, the more clay you have to use. So one mug, for example, is the one pound, three ounces. Um, A vase is usually three pounds. A planter could be anywhere from three or four or five pounds. And even though it doesn't sound like that much... Clay, weight-wise, you really have to use your entire body and a lot of muscle and strength to center the clay and to be able to work with that much. So um, it just takes a lot of practice to work with that much clay. And because I'm always making mugs and tumblers, I really don't have a lot of practice.
0: It's doing the mugs and tumblers is probably more like muscle memory at this point.
1: Oh, yeah. I usually can... I mean, I watch what I'm doing, but I'm always like watching netflix or listening to podcasts while i'm doing it
0: yeah keeping yourself a little more entertained
1: (laughs) yeah it doesn't require as much like focus and and uh concentration as making something large
0: so going back to larger pieces being more difficult to make what would you say the most difficult piece you've ever created was
1: um I would say probably the vases that I've been making lately have been the hardest, um, just cause they're tall and more narrow. So you really have to get like down inside the piece and be able to pull it up. And it's just harder to work with at that angle. Um, Do you
0: have to stand on a, on a chair?
1: Yeah, I sit on a chair that has, uh, an, you know, a function where I can raise it and lower it. So as the piece is getting taller, I usually will raise my chair and that way I can see down inside of the piece.
0: That does sound like a lot of work.
1: <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, that's why I don't I don't make them very often. I like mugs.
0: <laughs> how long, how long would making a vase like that actually take you on the wheel?
1: Um, I don't think I've actually timed it, but that would take more like 15 minutes
0: for me. Okay, so there's a big time difference between the mugs and the vases.
1: Yeah, exactly. And my success rate overall is just a lot smaller. I'll often just have to scrap the piece because it doesn't come out.
0: Okay. And then restart and then.
1: Yeah. Restart. And then hopefully it happens the next time. (laughs) (laughs) There's just not like some days it just doesn't happen. Um, I don't know if my mind, you know, if you're not in the right spot, you're not concentrating enough or whatever, but yeah, sometimes I just have to say, all right, I'll try this again tomorrow
0: yeah put in the put down the towel and walk away
1: yes, exactly before I waste twenty five pounds of clay trying to make one base
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so we've got your most difficult piece. What about your favorite piece that you've created?
1: I would say my favorite pieces are like the line design styles that I make, like the um larger serving bowls that have a lot of detailed lines on the outside um, that use a ton of different colors and glazing on the outside.
0: How long do you have to wait for the piece to be out of the kiln before you can actually um, paint it? Or is that the glazing process?
1: Yeah. So after the first firing, the bisque firing, you can glaze right away. You just have to wait for it to be cool enough to handle it. So pretty much, you know, the 24 hours after I run the kiln, it'll be around a hundred degrees and I can take them out and start glazing them at that point.
0: Going back to the kiln, you said that you borrowed an electric one from your in-laws. Are you still using that same kiln or do you have a different one?
1: I have a I have a different one now. I finally gave that kiln back um, just a few months ago. Actually, when I was kind of cleaning my garage and wanting to open up some space. So back in I think it was December 2018, I brought I bought a brand new Scut kiln. Um, and my old kiln that I was borrowing would hold about 30 pots, and the new kiln holds anywhere from 70 to 90 pieces. So it's quite a bit larger. Um, and yeah, so that's the main... That's the only kiln. I wish I had a second kiln that size. I could really use it. But unfortunately, my garage space that I work from is is pretty limited.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that they take up a lot of space.
1: Yeah, they're pretty large. I think the one have now is about nine cubic feet on the inside. Wow. Yeah, it's three levels. So like... Um, I'll fill the bottom, put some shelving in, fill the middle shelf and add another level of shelving and then a third row of pots. So it holds, it holds a lot.
0: That does hold a lot. Is this kiln also electric?
1: This kiln is electric. Um, it doesn't have the same mechanism that the old kiln had. This one is all digital. So I just type in the cone that I want to fire it to, um, and do some other presets digitally, and then it's good to go.
0: How long would you say that it takes the kiln to heat up for the first firing, for example? Is it a quick process?
1: It heats up about 280 degrees an hour. So it will take, depending on how full the kiln is, it will take anywhere from seven hours to about eight and a half hours. It's a long waiting time. It is a long time, yeah.
0: But, and what's the maintenance like on your kiln? Like, how often do you have to clean it? Do you have to clean it after every usage? Or?
1: Um, since I bought a brand new kiln, the maintenance hasn't been very much. I haven't had to change out any of the heating elements or anything like that. So, um, that'll definitely be a learning process once I get to that point, probably next year. Um, it does have a thermocouple in it, and that's what measures the temperature. And that gets changed out about every six months, but that's a pretty easy fix. So yeah, it's been pretty easy. Um, I'm glad that I made the decision to buy a brand new kiln. So I knew the history of it and, you know, just, it's kind of like buying a brand new car. You know, it hasn't hurt. Yeah. And then as far as cleaning it, um, you really don't have to clean it unless you have a pot explode, which has happened to me a lot lately for some reason um that usually happens if uh your pottery is not dry enough in the first firing so if there's moisture inside the pot there's nowhere for that moisture to go and it will just explode um and then that really like literally explodes it turns into a million little pieces of pottery and powder so that's very frustrating um trying to clean out that but
0: Can you vacuum it out or do you have to use your hand to get it out?
1: You can vacuum it. Um, Yeah, I'll use like a shop vac usually and get all the little pieces out. So, and then you have to like clean the shelves. I sand the shelves a lot to make sure there's nothing stuck on them. No little pieces of pottery stuck on them. So if a piece
0: explodes while it's in the kiln, does it damage the other pieces around it? It or can. is it kind of a like self-sustained?
1: It could be either. It just depends on how close um the other pieces are to that piece. You know, if it's a little explosion, like a little pop, and just like a big piece of the the one that exploded comes off. Usually it doesn't hurt any others, but sometimes it can like blow handles off other mugs that are close by. So okay. and usually I'll hear the explosion happen. Um and that usually happens around 700 degrees. So the kiln, the firing's already in session and I don't want to stop it at that point. So I really have no idea how many pieces have been lost until the next day when I can open it up when it's cool enough.
0: So. It's like a very bitter Christmas morning surprise. <laughs> <laughs> a really sad wait. Yeah. Oh, that would make me so anxious. Yeah, it's tough. So how do you... You have a young daughter mm-hmm. and you work from home so how do you organize your work week are there certain days that you're just working on certain projects like one day you're just doing tumblers one day you're just doing mugs one day you're just how does that work for you
1: I usually base my week on well first of all our daughter goes to a nanny share with our neighbors so We have um, the morning coverage. She goes from 8.30 to 1. So that's like a solid four four and a half hours of working. Um, And the week is kind of based on like if I have orders that need to be shipped that week, if I need to be glazing or if I need to be throwing. Um, It kind of seems like lately my schedule has been like a week of glazing, a bunch of work. And then the next week is like a whole week of throwing. So and then like you said, I do make all tumblers one day and then all mugs the next day. And then the next day after throwing mugs, I usually spend that whole day putting handles on the mugs. Cause that's a pretty lengthy process.
0: How long would you say it takes to put a handle on a mug?
1: Um, probably just two minutes per piece, but, um, I mean, with usually,
0: multiple mugs that adds up.
1: Yeah, it's usually like 80 mugs that I'm putting handles on and you know needing to take breaks and stuff like that. so yeah <laughs> um,
0: So I think that pottery is something that a lot of young people are interested in getting into. Mm-hmm. but they're not sure how to get started and a lot of the classes can get really expensive. Mm -hmm. So how would you recommend someone who's interested in getting into pottery get started?
1: I would recommend taking classes, even though they can be pricey. It's still going to be a lot more affordable than buying your own equipment. Um, Kilns are pretty expensive. And then usually you have to have electrical work done in your house to get the kiln um, working, since it's not just a normal 120 volt. And then buying a wheel is quite expensive as well. So just, yeah, finding local classes or even other potters in your town that do personal private lessons would probably be a good idea. But yeah, unfortunately, it's not a cheap hobby to get into.
0: Like skiing?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it is all like one-time Purchases like buying a wheel and buying a kiln. And you can find stuff on Craigslist if you're in a bigger city. Um, and that's a great way to go too because kilns do last forever. Like the last one I had was 30 years old at least and it still worked great. So you can find kilns for, you know, a few hundred dollars on Craigslist if you really open your eye out. And wheels, how
0: long do they tend to last for?
1: They last a really long time too. I think mine... Mine will probably last twenty years. Is it made out of wood or what
0: kind of material is it made out of?
1: Um, it's mostly plastic. Um, like the the wheel itself is metal, and then it's got a motor, and then a plastic um, catch tray around it because you use a lot of water when you're throwing, so that catches all your extra water. And what is the reason
0: actually for using so much water when you're throwing? I mean, obviously the clay needs moisture but when i've seen videos of people throwing on the wheel it just seems like an insane amount of water yeah. is just going everywhere
1: oh, i think you would just be surprised how quickly the clay dries out and it will drag on your hands like as soon as it it's starting to dry out you'll just feel tension on your on your fingers and any kind of tension like that will just throw the piece of pottery out of balance and off center so That's why we're always like dumping more and more water. So
0: do you you use a cup to dump it on? Because I've seen some people just like throwing
1: water on. Yeah, sometimes I'll scoop it with my hand or I use, I always use a sponge to throw with. So I'll dip my sponge and have excess water in the sponge that I can squeeze out. That's interesting. (laughs) I throw with plastic uh, latex gloves, which most people don't. And I think I need even more water because of that um so yeah why do you throw with gloves on um I started throwing with gloves on because my skin was just getting irritated from being wet all the time and the clay just really dries out your skin um and so I thought that would be a good way to just try and help my protect my skin I'll put like a hand salve on my skin before I put the glove on so I've got a nice barrier between my skin and water. Um, and then also I found that it just really helps in the cleanup process because you don't want to um, put clay down your drain. You can really clog up your your drains that way and your pipes. So, And I don't have a working sink in my space. So this way I can just take the gloves off and then my hands are clean. Was there a learning curve
0: from throwing with your bare hands and throwing with latex?
1: Um. Just a really small one. I mean, it felt really natural. They're pretty fitted gloves, so they're you know it's like a second skin. It almost feels more strange now to throw without them. I'll try it every once in a while and take the gloves off, but I really prefer the gloves now since I'm so.
0: Does your daughter ever come down and play with the
1: clay with you? Sometimes she'll come out in the garage and say, <laughs> "She'll say I'm working," <laughs> and she'll just like you know, look at and see what I'm doing. She's painted some pottery before. That was fun, but she hasn't really gotten her hands dirty in clay yet.
0: She's probably still a little bit too
1: young. I think so. Yeah. Maybe like six more months and we'll get her going with some clay.
0: She can have her own Etsy page. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be so cute. (laughs) Speaking of your Etsy page, is there any shops in Washington where potential customers can go and look at your work?
1: Um, I do currently sell at From Here, which is downtown Spokane in the River Park Square Mall. Um, I don't have a lot of pieces there, and it's kind of hit and miss when I can take stuff in. So, there's yeah, there's not a ton. Um, And then also at Atticus Coffee and Gifts, I do have some work there. That's
0: such a cool shop.
1: Yeah, it is a fun shop. There's so many cool gifts in there um but other than that i used to have a a few other places in washington um tumbleweed bead company and um sound and vision living in olympia i believe i was doing wholesale for them last year but as my own etsy has gotten so busy i just really can't keep up with wholesale anymore so i'm just pretty much strictly doing retail sales
0: yeah So you're based in Spokane, as we mentioned in the beginning, Mm -hmm. but you're not originally from Spokane.
1: I am originally from Spokane.
0: You are originally from Spokane. I thought you were
1: from California for some reason. Well, so I grew up in Spokane and then as soon as I graduated high school, I moved to California for college. I went to the Fashion Institute for Design and Merchandising and, um... Then I ended up just staying in California for ten years. And then my husband and I moved back to Spokane five years ago.
0: How was that moving back to Spokane after being so long in California? Cause I mean, obviously Washington and California are two completely different yeah. ways of, you know, lifestyles.
1: It was definitely a breath of fresh air to come back here. Um I was just really tired of the heat and the traffic in California and everything that comes with that. Um, So it was great to be back. And since we've moved back, Spokane has really changed a ton. I mean, downtown doesn't even look recognizable compared to what it was just five years ago. So it's been really cool to see the change in the city. Would you
0: say it's a positive change?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Lots of new restaurants and just, you can really tell the city is putting a lot of money into like Riverfront Park has been renovated. They've been working on that for several years and that park is really beautiful now.
0: Yeah. Riverfront Park really is a nice place to spend a couple of hours at.
1: Yeah. Whereas just a few years ago, it was kind of like overgrown and run down and not somewhere, not anything like it is today. I was in
0: Spokane for the first time last year, I think in November, early December, something around there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being from the West side, everybody always has something bad to say about Spokane. And so I was a little bit nervous to go. And I have to say it was a very pleasant surprise. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a cool city. There's a lot of fun shops there. Like you said, like Atticus, for example.
1: Yeah, it is really an amazing city and there's just so much stuff opening and new restaurants. And I mean, unfortunately with COVID, a lot of things will probably, I don't know if they will survive or not, but before COVID started, there was just, it seemed like every month there was a few new restaurants opening downtown and so felt like there was hardly any choices.
0: Before COVID, how would you, like, what would be your ideal day in Spokane? Where would you go? What would you eat? What would you see?
1: Um, we, I mean, we do like to go downtown a lot. We only live about 10 minutes from downtown. So um, I would just say, like, going and walking through the park downtown. Um, our daughter loves the carousel that's down there. It's really nice. Unfortunately, it's been closed since COVID started. So, that um, we love going to the Perry District for drinks. Um, I would say Perry Street Brewing is probably our number one spot to hang out. It's pretty kid-friendly. Even now with COVID, they've expanded their outdoor seating. So, there's a lot of space to sit outside pretty safely. And just hanging out in the Perry District is fun, too. There's a lot of markets that happen there, farmers markets and like that
0: yeah I think I think Spokane has a lot more to offer than than most people realize
1: Mm -hmm. definitely I think the smaller like outer neighborhoods um that have started really developing like Kendall Yards and Perry District um they give you a lot of options definitely so thank you so much Brooke for being on
0: it was such a nice (laughs) talk with you um I hope everyone goes and checks you out at 2232ceramics on Instagram.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it. It was nice talking to you too. All right. Talk to you later. See ya.